interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Hey, hey, welcome to the podcast where we take a quick swig of medicine from the limitless depths of pop fiction, literary fiction, visual art, music, movies, poetry, any artistic creation, and we feel all the better for it. My name is Nate Hammond. You are listening to Tonic Pop. Hey, let's talk about Avatar because we're looking forward to Avatar 2 coming out in the next year or so, depending on how COVID treats us. But it is something worth looking back on because there is more than just a light review to be had. There is actually some real introspection, some real deep dives that we can do uh, regarding the themes. There is some controversial aspects of Avatar that is often discussed in movie forums. And I want to focus on just one of those in a moment. But let me give you the overview directly from Rotten Tomatoes to start us off. On the lush alien world of Pandora live the Na'vi, beings who appear primitive but are highly evolved. Because the planet's environment is poisonous, human-slash-Na'vi hybrids called avatars must link to human minds to allow for free movement on Pandora. Jake Sully, played by Sam Worthington, a paralyzed former marine, becomes mobile again through one such avatar and he falls in love with a Na'vi woman played by Zoe Saldana. As a bond with her grows, he is drawn into a battle for the survival of her world. You are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora. You should see your faces. We have an indigenous population called the Na'vi. They are very hard to kill. This is why we're here. Because this little gray rock sells for 20 million a kilo. Their village happens to be resting on the richest deposit, and they need to relocate. Those savages are threatening our whole operation. We're on the brink of war, and you're supposed to be finding a diplomatic solution. All right, so Avatar was PG-13. As I said, it came out in 2009. It cost about, well, the estimates and the actual declared costs are a little bit different. Officially, it was budgeted at $237 million. But some estimates have put the cost between 280 and 310 million for production and 150 million for promotion. It is okay though because it made that money back. It doubled it. In the USA alone, it grows 760.5 million. Let's talk about the actors. Sam Worthington honestly looks like the generic Aussie bloke that you might find wandering the streets of Bali in a bintang singlet and thongs. But like many typical Aussies, he also has an adaptable nature and he adapts well in this film, going from a ho-hum dude to a passionate warrior. Zoe Saldana was excellent. She showed that she doesn't just suit green skin, but blue also works well. She showed a great roller coaster of emotions throughout and made every nuance to her character believable. Her character's dad was voiced by legendary actor Wes Studi. He was a patriarch of the Omatakaya clan. Stephen Lang, he plays one of the two main antagonists, and I really love this guy's acting. He's one of those small club of chameleon actors that you can have play almost anything. People like Gary Oldman and Cliff Curtis are on that list. If you check out his filmography, you'll see a lot of bad choices, but he is a prolific actor, and his acting, at least from everything I've seen, never falters. Giovanni Ribisi plays the part of the other main antagonist. He's the guy the audience get to hate condescending and slimy perfect acting michelle rodriguez plays michelle rodriguez the legendary actor 
Sigourney Weaver is in there. She nails her part as she always does. She is a pioneer of female sci-fi action heroine, so it was only right that she got a part. This time, she's kind of a cross between her um, previous Diane Fossey and Lieutenant Ripley characters. She's worked with James Cameron before, of course, on Aliens, and she'll be teaming up with him again on the National Geographic docuseries Secrets of the Whales. So yeah, James Cameron directs. The world, of course, knows of his great works, such as Piranha 2, The Spawning, but true fans might also recognize his lesser-known works like Terminator 2 and Titanic. So, Avatar. There is romance, action, drama, comedy. It's a sci-fi setting, but a mixed-genre film with a few dominant messages the general narrative itself may get a bit oh, here we go again as it doesn't offer anything new but in james cameron's style he punches on with spectacle pure unabashed unrelenting spectacle but unlike others who try to go for the bigger is better approach he avoids cacophony and places the visual excitement into a sweeping and spacious world where there is room to move and to breathe it's possible I say it's possible, I've actually read some of the reviews that actually underline this, but it's possible that the ultra-discerning taste may just enjoy sitting up high and not delving beneath the surface of this film, because if they do, they may find that it is not as deep as it makes out to be. However, to kind of disprove my own point, I do want to talk about one of the subsurface themes that gets a lot of hate in our current world. I'll get to that in a moment. Religion, society, politics, culture nativism environmentalism one reviewer compared it to an ideological rose shark blot have i pronounced that right you know what i'm talking about the blot where every viewer looks at the same thing but sees something different no wonder there are arguments to my mind it is a powerful message and it's one that i received loud and clear similar to fern gully which is arguably which Avatar arguably ripped off, R.I.P. Robin Williams. It argues against the wanton destruction of vital, natural, ecological systems. In my own home, my own town where I live, we are currently having a Na'vi versus corporate power battle to stop a motorway running over the top of our essential wetlands. So that simple message, but of course realistically complicated battle, I find myself nodding approval of this film. There is one negative which I said I was going to get to beyond the typical acting, directing, story, etc. critique that often follows a release. This is one that is argued on message boards which post this film as being near the top of the perpetrators. And that is the white saviour theme. So, is this, was this a white saviour movie? For those who may not be aware of the term, it basically describes a story where a helpless people, often indigenous, are unable to fend for themselves and need the arrival of a white guy in shining armor to save the day. Is it a justified gripe? Yes. Yes, it is. I have no issue with that question being raised. But I do think that the accusation has to come only after actually watching a movie, reading a book, looking at the real story if it is based on one etc so many people will just jump i remember when the help came out or green book came out before people had even seen it they just assumed they were white savior movies now i'm not arguing those for or against those movies they may very well be white savior movies maybe we can talk about that at a later date but i'm saying that so many people without even seeing uh, reading the script or watching the film or reading the book in, in the case of the help just jumped on it as if it was 
So we need to do a little bit more research before we become keyboard warriors in that regard, I think. Often a white savior story is based on a real story. Lawrence of Arabia, for example, it often gets cited as an eye-rolling white savior tale, but the fact is he was a real dude and the story actually happened. Uh, granted, he may have embellished some points and played down others, as historians believe was likely the case, but ultimately this was no dreamt up white savior story. There are definitely a good number of films that have created this trope though. Unfortunately, because it has become trope, it's too easy to point to any on-screen white guy involvement with social improvement or joining forces with a minority, ethnic or indigenous group as leaning on that idea, when in fact there are some legitimate uses of the theme. The cliche creators have ruined it for everyone, I guess. So, for example, remember Michelle Pfeiffer's Dangerous Minds? Well, that was based on a real story. Here's the problem though, in the real story, the class was an almost perfect ratio of black, white and Hispanic kids. So this white teacher comes in and she is helping to improve the lives of a well-balanced demographic. The film writers decided to make it almost a solely minority class, which then played straight into the white savior trope. Some other issues that push that theme in the wrong direction I think include when the introduced white character is overly glorified and given a pedestal to perch on, or the story is written in a way that they, the indigenous or minority culture, couldn't have done it without him or her. I personally have no issues with an often used trope of the white character assimilating into a society and culture and joining forces with them. More on that in my final points, but the question is, to go back to it, is Avatar a white saviour movie? I argue, nah, not really. However, I'm not forcing my opinion on you, so if you want to keep the discussion rolling, please jump on my Facebook page, Tonic Pop Podcast. Let me know your own thoughts um, after you've finished listening to this. Some may find it easy to dismiss this movie as a white savior movie, and justifiably there are reasons to see that in there. But I feel having the white Aussie bloke in there as a potential antagonist turned protagonist helps create a more easily accessible and applicable lesson for those who need it most, i.e. the people he initially represents. Jake, it's real simple. I want you to learn from the inside. I want you to gain their trust. You should not be here. Go back. All this is your fault. Remember, they are the ones that are causing the problems. In the same way that Avatar helped Jake to understand the Navi culture, we all need to find our own avatar or channel to experience, learn from, and understand other cultures. For me, it was a life spent living mostly in Pacific Island nations, um, such as Tonga and Fiji and Hawaii. Um, I know America is a nation, or United States is a nation, but you know what I mean, Hawaii, it's separated from the mainland. Um, also living in diverse cultures such as Louisiana, as is found in Louisiana, um, and all over the place. So, and New Zealand, of course. So I got to experience that, and I got to, to have to, I got to learn how to quickly adapt into different cultures. I learned very quickly that one of the most important words that I could grasp onto was understanding 
Understanding is one of the most powerful words in the English language. Albert Einstein apparently said, Peace cannot be kept by force, it can only be achieved by understanding. Jake Sully learned this when he began to assimilate into the Navi culture. John Locke said, The improvement of understanding is for two ends. First, our own increase of knowledge. Secondly, to enable us to deliver that knowledge to others. As Jake's understanding of the indigenous culture increased, he decided John Locke's second point. He tried to deliver that knowledge to his people. Their shunning of him pushed him away and towards finding a new people to belong to. Remember that again for my final point. Something that was necessary to the plot was to have a character that could feel internal tension through cognitive dissonance. They needed a character that had been brought up and fed by, trained by, etc. A corporate system that he then had to turn his back on as he learned better. Something else to consider is that Jake became an asset to the Navi because he understood the internal workings of the enemy that were once his employer. This gave the Navi an advantage that they may not otherwise have had. My second to last thought. I see this more about Jake the white man being saved. Saved through his interactions with the indigenous Navi. He was saved by them. He found enlightenment. He found freedom. Any salvation was reciprocal. And here is my final point. By the time Jake wholeheartedly joined the fight against his former employers, he was no longer a white man. But for all intents and purposes, he had become Navi himself. He was using their methods to fight. He had culturally assimilated. He spoke their language. He respected their ways. And their ways became his ways. Their language, his language. Their culture, his culture. Jake the white man didn't win the battle. As a whole, it was the Navi that won the battle. So again, these are my thoughts. I know it's a controversial topic, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Feel free to amicably disagree on my Facebook page or to heatedly disagree, whatever. Bring it on. Tonic Pop Podcast. See you there. My name is Nate Hammond. Thank you for joining me.